Hey listeners, this is uh, this is Evan from the future. So I, I come to you from the year of 2023 uh, to bring the announcement that I actually finished a book that I was writing on Job. Um, and I wanted to put that in front of this episode because it's actually still one of our most popular. It gets listened to all the time. Uh, so if you listen to this episode and you like what we have to say and you'd like to hear a little bit more of that, uh, you can look up Suffering and Silence, Job's Struggle, God's Voice, and our response. Uh, it's available on Amazon. You can get it in ebook, paperback, or hardcover. Love for you to check it out. Now back to the original episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we take a deep dive into biblical topics in a way that's easy to understand. If you would like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the 49-week challenge reading plan. We also have physical reading plans available in the lobby every Sunday. Yeah, and as usual, if you have any questions, we would love to take some time to answer those at the end of every podcast. Uh, so feel free to send those in at infogrove.church, uh, or you can actually direct message our Grove Church Facebook page. We are the Grove Church in Washington State. We have two locations in Marysville and Snohomish, so you're welcome to like the page as well as send us a question for us to answer. There you go. I'm a big, I'm a big believer in... Uh, I'm trying to think how to say it, basically, but uh, not. We don't need to talk about coronavirus all the time. No, but no, I no, do no. want to give a quick. There's a there's enough of it going on. There's enough of conversations happening. Oh yeah, and and I hope many of you have already had those conversations with whether you're church leadership or you're hearing from your church leadership, things like that. So, so quick thirty seconds on it, just because last week we didn't have an episode. The reason for that is uh, on Tuesday we found out that we couldn't meet as a church. Yeah, it was and pretty so. Crazy. Uh, we were scrambling the entire week. We ended up doing a drive-in church where people kind of pulled into the cars. They stay inside, yes. so it's still maintaining quarantine and all that different stuff. Um, but then we just kind of broadcasted out over the radio, built a stage on the roof. So yeah, it was a crazy week. It was really, it was really, really cool. One of my favorite yeah. things that we've ever done. But uh, it just took up all of our time. Yeah, there was a moment. <laughs> there was a moment last week during service um, during one of our gatherings where I just was kind of caught off guard and just kind of humbled just to see what God has been doing, just bringing people. Uh, I mean, we had. Several hundred people. Uh, I mean, I think our, our estimated numbers, because you can't really count numbers, we just do our car to people ratio on a regular Sunday. We were about 900 people total with kids, which was really kind of cool. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, so it was just a lot of fun. You know, sometimes it's just you got to you gotta shift out of your regular rhythm and find a new normal. So absolutely. Uh, so, so thanks for your patience and flexibility. Yeah. So, but we're back. We're, we're back, back this week. We're going to do it. So luckily this month is one of the Sundays where there's five. So we just, one we were going to do have five Sundays. Yeah. That's so we, we won't do... Uh, uh, we're going to do an episode on the Dead Sea Scrolls. We will do that later. So yeah. the next month that has Stay five tuned. Sundays, we'll we'll do that, it's and then we'll come. just yeah, and then we'll maintain our regular, uh, our regular programming. And then if yeah. there is right now, we're in Washington State. There hasn't been a shelter in place yeah. order. If that does Which means come, we're still able to get out and sit in the same room and have a podcast together. We are six feet apart for yes. uh, for clarity. Though. I think we're actually six feet six inches. Boom. Social I'm distancing. Just guessing. But uh, um, if if that order does come down, it'll be a lot lower quality, but we'll figure out a way to record online. Yeah, we'll still do some podcasting and, and recording, so. Yep. All right. That's enough. Luckily, Evan and I like each other, so. Enough talk about dumb we'll talk viruses. talk to each other outside of the office. Yeah. And my, when I say dumb viruses, I mean, I hate the virus, not the people. All right. No. So moving forward, uh, what are we using today? We're talking about the Book of Job. I should open up with that. Book so, of Job. Which is kind of fitting uh, just for the season we're oh, in. Totally it's just is. talking about, like, you know, pain. Um, it's really an incredibly deep book of the Bible, but we'll get more into that. Um, as far as what we're using today, it's the ESV study Bible, kind of as always, uh, the Logos Bible software. Oh, I put that twice. Sorry. Oh, no worries. Uh, the Essence of the Old Testament, a survey by Ed Hinson and Gary Yates. Yeah. And then he reads the Bible, uh, the or he reads Truth Bible. Yeah. So it's a, it's a Bible I picked up a little bit ago that I kind of read personally on my own. Oh. Um, and it's it's just a different translation. It's the Christian Standard Version, uh, CSB, Christian, Sta Christian Standard Bible, uh, and Holman Bible is the one that puts it out. But It's a little uh, bit of an audacious name, though. It's just a little bit different. Yeah. The so Christian Standard Bible. 
Right, it's the standard. It's better than the ESV. So the English standard. Yeah. This is the this is the standard Bible English, so. for English. All right. <laughs> Uh, moving forward. So Job is, uh, Job is pretty interesting. It's one of the earliest written books that we have in the old Testament. There's a little bit of a back and forth about when it was written, but no one, there's no real clarity on it. Yeah. No one dates it very far past the Pentateuch though. Mm -hmm. So it's either written before them around the same time or after those. So it's, it's extremely early compared to a lot of the other books of the Mm -hmm. Bible that we have. Um, I kind of land on, I think it takes place before and was written probably um, right after the Pentateuch was completed or during. I can go either way. Yeah, I it think it's, it's like... so close in, in how it plays out and just reading different chronological reading plans or things like that. Uh, I think it de- it depends. I think one of the things that I read in uh, this Bible that I, I've, I ref- we referenced already was uh, Jewish tradition, which was interesting. I didn't know this. Uh, has Job written in the time of Moses, uh, which they put approximately like 1440 BC. Yeah. So, well, and it um, seems like at at the time of Moses, Israel kind of trans- transitions from an oral history to a written, written history. Yeah, yeah. I think you're and right. so it kind of seems like I would assume the story of Job is passed down the same way as the stories of you know Adam and Eve, the yeah. Ark, all those different things. And so when those are all being written down, it would make sense that Job was also written down. Yeah, it's um, it's confusing for sure because I remember even looking it up, even just this morning, looking at Logos, the Bible software, and kind of the breakdown of their their schedule of events. It's like creation account, then it's Job. <laughs> Is right after kind of that creation account, the fall of or the the, the fall of man, things like right. that, and then Job is is kind of in the events, uh, what the, the event list. Well, mo- yeah, most people date it pre Abraham, as far as not when it's written, but when the story when takes, it place. takes place. Yeah, yeah. and that's written because is different. yeah, that's because there's no reference to Mosaic law, um, so it probably takes place before that, mm-hmm. and then also the regions listed um, are pre conquest, so it's before you know Joshua, Caleb, and all of them move in, yeah, uh, and so it's usually dated around 2000 BC, give yeah. or take. Somewhere in there. Yeah. So long time ago. We're not going to know. We'll know when we get to heaven. Um, but Job is really, it's funny because I didn't, I didn't, I never read Job all that much um, until a couple of years ago. And it was actually last year is the first time when we did uh, just an overview of the book when mm-hmm. I really kind of did a deep study into it. But it really is one of the deepest and most powerful books of the Bible. Because the question that it wrestles with is it was it was a question, was that 4,000 years ago when the story takes place and it's just as relevant today. Yeah. And it's really talking about why do painful things happen? Um, Which is why we say it's fitting for today. Yeah. It's, even even to those who love God. Yeah. It's just... Because um, Job was, was considered a righteous man. He was considered absolutely. full of integrity, high character. He was like the model citizen for the kingdom of God. Well, and we'll... Uh, We'll get more to that here in yeah. a second. So uh, the the way that the book uh, breaks down is actually pretty easy when you when you think about it. There's it's bookended by narrative. So the mm. opening uh, chunk of Job is a narrative about who Job is, and then you get Satan, uh, the accuser, coming before God and kind of just like you know the, the, him and God make a bet for lack of which this. in and of itself that is such a cra- like I remember when I, when I first started studying it too, it was just mind blowing. Yeah, it's a crass way of saying it, but it really kind of is like Satan says, you know. Job, if you've given him everything, yeah. if you take away things, he's not going to serve you anymore. And God's like, and well, God's like, bet. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but then after that, you get this interesting cycle where it's Job talking with three of his friends. And so the way that it works is Job will say something. Um, then one of his friends will say something, then Job will reply. And then that cycle happens, I think twice for every friend. Yeah. So there it's a, it's Zophar, Bildad and Eliphaz, El- Eliphaz, Eliphaz, yeah. I don't know. And then was it Elihu that comes Elihu, in? Elihu, yeah, but he's not in the first cycle. He comes at the very end. He comes in burnt, you know. He's angry at all of them. It's awesome. He goes, burns all the bridges, scorched earth. Uh, but we'll get to that section here in a little bit. Um, and then finally it ends with, like we said, it ends with the bookend. And then it also ends with uh, God answering, which is some of my favorite 
some of my favorite passages in all the Bible is just God just lays the smack down. But anyway, uh, moving forward. So in the opening narrative, uh, the book of Job is mostly poetic in structure other than the, the bookends. That's just kind of the way it is. Um, it's really beautifully written. That's why, and that's why it's put in the wisdom literature right? Uh, in the section as far as it's put in the biblical categories, if you will. Well, and there's also a section um, just, that's kind of weird just in the middle where it's like just a poem about the importance of wisdom, which mm-hmm. if you're reading it, you're just like, why, why is this in here? But you realize, that field. <laughs> yeah, but you realize it's, it's a part of, you know, Psalm, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Songs, as, mm-hmm. as far as like wisdom and all these different things. And, and those, you know, Proverbs is kind of dealing with um, just wisdom generally. Um, Psalms is kind of dealing with wisdom in our relationship with God, yeah. uh, specifically Ecclesiastes is really wisdom just in, in view of mortality. Yeah. And then Song of Songs is obviously uh, wisdom in view of um, romantic love. Yeah. And then this book is dealing really with wisdom in view of pain, suffering. So there you go. It's really, it's really good. I love, I love this book. Um, but yeah, so like Aaron alluded to earlier, totally we learned good. that we learned that Job is a righteous man. Uh, he serves the Lord and he has been blessed with a great family and wealth. Um, and again, you know, remember back in this time, uh, wealth doesn't mean money. Usually it's kind of, he has a lot of land. He a has lot a lot of cattle. of cattle. Yep. He has servants who he's able to pay. Um, he has children remember, that he Remember it's agricultural is the, is the context. Right. And so a lot of the wealth is agricultural. Uh, I think of Dwight Schrute when it comes to the office. <laughs> 16 he's, acres. He's got he a beet farm so. and he is making it work. That's Totally, I just watched that episode last night. That's why I referenced it. So, so there you go. Um, and then something really interesting happened. So Aaron, if you want to read that uh, yes. first chapter there. Chapter 1, 6 through 12 says this. Uh, now, this is after Job's already been set in motion. He says this. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. Uh, so there's this gathering. God is hanging out with his, his people. Satan shows up. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan, the Lord answered, or Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro the earth on the earth from walking up and down on it. And the Lord says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Now, I hope one day God can say that about me. Just right. saying. Um, then Satan answered in verse nine, the Lord said, does God or does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But the stretch, but stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he is is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So you get this really interesting exchange where, and I, I do want to make this clear because I heard some, I've heard some sermons on Job where I think, I think one of the hardest things for people to wrestle. Th- through is that Job is not suffering because of his sin. And the book is very clear about that. Yeah, and I've yeah, actually yeah. heard some sermons that are kind of like trying to roundaboutly like, well, see here, we can kind of see what Job does. Like, like no, like the yeah. God himself is very clear. Uh, Job is blameless and upright. That doesn't mean he's perfect, but it does mean that like basically in the eyes of God, he has very clear relationship yeah. with God. We would consider him a very upright. His standing before God, in other words, is is very good. Yeah. And I think it's also like, even to that point for a second, like I think we oftentimes try and figure out why something happens. And the reality of it is, as we'll get into, as you read the, the book of Job, as we get into the book of Job, you'll realize it, it's not, it's not because of sin that God is allowing this to happen. It's right. not because it's, it's because God is in control. Like, and we'll not, see, not yeah. to spoil the end of it, but there is something dynamic about this truth. Like we always in our humanity make it about us. And I think that's part of the problem with some of the preachers that have preached this passage. They've made it about us. 
I've got to figure out why it is the way it is. So, mm-hmm. uh, but it's definitely interesting how easy it is as, as a human to uh, make any kind of context or any kind of story about us to make us feel better about who well, we are. And I think that's why the book is so, we'll, we'll talk more about this when we get to Job's friends, but I think that's why the book is so powerful because it's addressing very human responses yes, to absolutely. suffering. Yeah. Um, so anyways, that happens. <clears throat> uh, raiders come, they steal all of Job's livestock for lack of a better word. They kill most of his servants. Um, every time a servant comes to report back, he's like, I alone have survived to yep. tell you. And then as soon as he's saying that, someone else shows up. Yep. And he's like, Hey, all of your, you know, ox were stolen, all of your donkeys were stolen, all these different things. Yep. And then finally, um, Job finds out that all of his kids died. Yeah. So all of his kids are, um, just kind of having fun. They're having a party under, under some kind of structure. And then a great wind comes collapses the structure and they all die. Yep. And then the one servant is the only one who survives to come back and tell Job. Yeah. So, and I, I say this a lot, but one of the big mistakes that we can make when we read the Bible is to uh, just kind of glance past something. And so, you know, take a moment as you're reading through Job and really do think about like, like what would, what would my reaction be if all of a sudden, um, like my children just died and I don't yeah. even have kids, but this is an incredibly painful moment where not only has he lost everything in terms of his wealth, but he's also lost his family. He, mm-hmm. he has his wife left and, um, and she's not very helpful. <laughs> we'll no. see here in a little bit. And I, and I don't know if she's doing it out of spite, but yeah, I mean, just, and even the thing too, like go back to the context for a second, like children were a big deal. They were part of your yeah. blessing. They were part of your legacy. They were the, the ones that like, if you didn't have kids, you were, you were looked down upon in society and, so all of a sudden for him to lose every single one of his kids, like that's a, I mean, yeah. that and only jo- adds salt to the wound. Yeah. And Job's wife gets a bad rap um, mm-hmm. in the sense of like, she obviously reacts poorly, but at the same time, it's again, just think through the lens of like, I remember me and, um, uh, me and my wife, Ashley, we were watching this show where um, it's like, it took, it takes place in like Florence and stuff like that, like in the Renaissance. And so like one of the characters is killed. And so the mom is like freaking out and she gets pulled into a room and she's trying to like bang to get like out of the room and like everyone's having to hold her back. And I remember, like I said out loud, like, it's so stupid. Like, why would she try and leave the room? Cause that's where she's safe. And then I realized like, you know, me and Ashley just both just realized at the time, like, well, it's just when you're so overcome with grief like that, yeah. you're just freaking out. And that's kind of what Job's wife is doing. Yeah. Um, but anyways, moving forward. Yeah. And that's a good point too. Just remember, you got to remember the context. And I think you're right. It's so easy to glance over this because we've read it before. We've heard it before. Yeah. But you got to stop it for a moment and and not put yourself in their shoes, but try to understand contextually what's going on so you can better more, I guess, more intently understand what the context of the conversation. So. And it makes the story more powerful too. Oh, d- totally does. Um, so this is Job's response. More challenging. Yeah. In chapter 1, 20 through 22, uh, it says, Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshiped. And he said, naked, I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. So, I mean, that again, that response, don't skip past this. Job's response. He just lost everything. Yeah, everything. And his response is the Lord gives, Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And then again, the book is very clear in this Job did not sin or charge God Mm -hmm. with wrong. So. There you well, go. Well, it's challenging. What, do we respond that way when we lose something? Right. Do we, like, you give and you take. Lord, that's what you do. But blessed be your name. Like, are we willing to, dude, yeah, that's, there was a song written about this, I think this, uh, this line from. Blessed the, be the yeah. name of the And it's an upbeat, Lord. like, cheery song, blessed whatever. Be. It's just super, like, not super funny, but it's kind of ironic that's an upbeat, cheery song. And yeah. really, it's, it's the, the hinges on this, like, Lord, you give and you take away. Blessed mm-hmm. be your name. So. Um, so anyways, if, if that wasn't enough, uh, Satan returns to God and he's like, or when God's basically like, Hey, 
you failed. And Satan's like, well, yeah, you wouldn't even let me touch him. And God's like, okay, do your worst, but you can't kill him. And Satan's like, okay. And so there's like up the bet, double or, double or nothing. And so, like uh, bet. so basically Satan gives Job this horrible illness where he just has open sores. We don't know exactly what it is, but it sounds awful. Um, he's constantly scratching the sores or opening him. It's kind of a gross picture it too. It is a really gross picture. Let's um, not talk about it. Okay. We won't talk about it anymore. But it, it, this is the point where um, he's still worshiping God and Job's wife is just like, just curse God and die. And I think part of it, again... Job's wife always gets a bad rap. I think she's in intense mourning over, because yeah. again, she's lost who all likes her, to see your loved one go through that. Well, yeah, she she lost all of her children, and I think particularly for her as a mother too. I mean, these are like children she had, like she carried them for nine months. She raised mm-hmm. them, particularly in that culture. Like she is the primary caregiver of her children. She has lost all of them. She's seeing her husband just absolutely wrecked by disease and all these things that are happening. So it's I don't, it's not like this evil curse. Well, God, and mind guy. you, all of it came out of left field. Yeah. I mean, it literally did not, like, it was not something that's like, oh, I think it's coming. Like, no, it came out of left field. Mm-hmm. Job loses everything out of nowhere. Then he's then he's plagued with these diseases and these sores out of nowhere. So it is this overwhelming, like, what that just happened. Yeah. So in her grief, um, curse God and she's just letting, she's just letting fully go. She's clearly blaming God for what has happened. Um, and then Job is still hanging on uh, to basically his righteousness he's hanging on to his relationship with god and i could that's be wrong when, with this i'm gonna say something real quick i okay. could be wrong but she i think in that context and culturally the the wives took their cues from their husbands and so she may have just cursed god and die because on one day that's what she wanted to do but she was still yielding to the authority of her husband as the be. head of the household and so there was some of the tension of can you please just curse god and die so we both can just be done with this it's good yeah uh but i, I could be wrong i don't know this is a quick, I, I was just reminded then of the story of Abigail where her husband's a moron. And oh, she's just like, okay. That well, story's the reason why my daughter's I, name is Abigail. I ain't following suit with that guy. Anyway, if you don't know the story of Abigail, look it up. It's in Chronicles, I think, Samuel. Yeah, it's in one of the- One of them. Chronological historical books. Anyway, one of David's wives. She's yeah. a, it's, she's, actually the, it's actually the, fir, the second wife of David, but his first wife was Saul's daughter because he defeated Goliath and was yeah, given there daughter. You go. So anyways. Anyway, good story. Uh, but after this, Job's three friends come to comfort him and uh, they're- <laughs> Let's let's do quotations real quick. Comfort him. You can't see it, but we put quotes (laughs) around comfort. It's not great, uh, but we'll see how it turns out. And this is this is the setup of the rest of the book. Basically, is Job's dialogue with these friends, um, and then we'll see. Like I said, God comes in a little bit later. Um, so moving forward, this section we, we talked about already, uh, but it follows the pattern of Job speaking. His friend answers, Job replies to that friend and then Job speaks again. And then another friend answers. It just kind of goes in cycles like that. Um, so this begins with, uh, Job lamenting his life, uh, the day that he was born. (laughs) Uh, and again, don't skip past this. What he's saying is just the pain and the depression that he's in from what he's feeling again, not cursing God here necessarily, but the idea is just like, I can't stand, I, I can't stand this pain anymore. And so yeah. we'll, we'll read just a quick excerpt uh, in Job 3, 11 through 13. It says, why did I not die at birth, come out of the womb and expire? Oh, why did the knees receive me or why the breasts that I should nurse for when I would have lain for then I would have laid down and be been quiet. I would have slept. Then I would have been at rest. And basically he's just saying like, at this point, and I, I know it's kind of funny, oh, Not it's not funny, but what I'm about to say can be kind of funny as like a joke, but he's basically saying just death would be a relief at this point. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because I don't, like even in, um, in a ministry context, like we have to do a lot of hospital visits and there are like 
seniors particularly who you'll meet with who have just been sick for a long time. And and that it is interesting that they're at this point where they just yeah. like, they're completely at ease with the idea of like, I just want to, I just want to go, go the, home. The worst is, as a pastor is one for worse for me. This is me is when someone says, can we just pray that the Lord takes them? Right. And I'm like, I don't want to pray that. <laughs> um, but at the same time, like go back to Joe, like, yes. I mean, and how many, how many, yeah, I think it validates the the weight that we feel in humanity of God, I just want to die. I would yeah. much rather die. So this is the pain that Job is working through right now. Um, and then we get, here we go. His friends, uh, Eliphaz uh, speaks up, up and he says hey, that um, while he knows that Job is a righteous man, uh, because he is suffering, he surely can't be right before God because, surely. because he, surely he knows, can. yeah, because he knows, um, and don't call me surely, but because we know that God would never allow uh, a righteous man to suffer. That's what he says. Right. And so Job, he says that Job replies basically is like, I, I don't understand like even what I would have done. Like I've done all these things. Like I should be yeah. righteous before God. Um, and then Bildad says that he should repent. So he's like, Hey, whatever you have, just repent of it. And Job again answers back with like, I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to repent of. Like I've done everything that I can. Um, and then Zophar comes in and his whole spiel is basically like, well, if anything, you deserve worse than you have right now because you're a liar and a sinner. Cause, yeah. And the, the basic premise of his friends is um, they refuse to believe that Job could be suffering this much and be right before God. And it's so interesting because that we, that's not an ancient idea. That is an idea that is very relevant to today. And oh, there's, yeah. there's whole sections of... Um, I mean, quote unquote Christianity, where where their whole deal is like you should never be suffering, and it's and it's just it's so interesting to me, like because the Bible screams out, not that if you follow God you're not going to experience suffering, but it's saying if you follow God when you experience suffering, yeah. He will be with you, yep. and it gives you a perspective of saying like even though you're suffering in this life in the in the future when you look back on it. Um, you're going to see how it was just a small blip in, in the light of eternity. Well, and scripture is really clear. It talks about the fact that we will have suffering. Right. And Jesus himself said it to his closest followers. And if and like it has nothing to do with our righteousness or our, our lack of righteousness. It has everything to do with the fact that we are just going to suffer. It's part of the fall of man because of sin. It's part of the reality we live in because we have a real enemy that's out to get us. As we've seen even in the story of Job, Satan is the one instigating these conversations. God's like, okay, show up. Yeah. Let's see. So... And there is, and I, I, I do want to make sure clear, like there is suffering that comes from sin, whether oh, it's, sure. whether it's divine or whether it's, um, um, I mean, when you make bad choices, consequences happen yep. as well. Um, but the idea that the righteous will never suffer, the idea that if we're, if we're serving God and following him, that we'll never suffer. Job is basically throwing that out. Yeah, He's saying, absolutely. no, that's not how it works. Um, the book itself. Um, but yeah, this continues to chapter 27. We're not going to go over it's the same cycle. It's yep. the same cycle over and over and over again for the majority of the book. And, and honestly read through it. It's really poetic in nature, but you'll read through these friends who just over and over again, it's like, well, Job, we know that you're not righteous. And Job just keeps coming back with mm -hmm. like, I, I don't understand where I would have fallen if, if, if I did. And his friends have a worldview and they will, they will not for anything leave that worldview. Yeah. So yeah. It's I say this real quick too, when you're reading... <clears throat> Uh, the Bible, when you're reading stories of especially poetic scriptures like this or poetic books like this, even the prophets, they are very poetic as well. Um, find a translation that helps you understand better. Um, and, and I don't say this often, but even if you've got to leverage a paraphrase like the message just to understand the conversation, sure, do it. Because 
the more you can understand what's actually being said and how the conversation is being played out, the better off you're going to be in understanding the deep truths of scripture. Um, and so find a translation that works. Don't read King James because I don't think King James is relevant to today. And I don't very many, know many people besides Evan that can speak in King James. So the King James is like, uh, it's beautiful in the way that Shakespeare is beautiful, but I wouldn't <laughs> recommend necessarily using that for your Bible study. Um, and for clarity, I don't read the King James. I just do think sometimes like, I just love the fact that I totally made a joke and I'm pretty sure people would have laughed until you jumped into that little segue for a second about King James. Listen, you know, sometimes so. there's just some, there's some beauty in language that's lost in modern English. Uh, but anyway, moving, moving forward from that. Um, yeah. And then chapter 28. So from chapters three through 27, we get this cycle of Job talking with his friends. And then chapter 28, we get this out of left field wisdom poem. Yeah. So it's, it's a standalone little, th- little thing. Yeah. Um, and again, it's, it seems like it's just kind of out of nowhere, but really it's talking about all of his friends are bringing their worldly wisdom. And the point of the poem is saying that wisdom is found in, in God. And yeah. clearly the friends at this point, their wisdom that they're finding is not in God. It's just in their own experience. It's in what they believe themselves, but mm-hmm. they're, they're not going to God for their own worldview. So I just, I, I carved out a couple passages here just to kind of read through. Obviously we're not going to read through the whole chapter because it's kind of long, um, but you'll get the gist. So in verses one through six, it says, uh, surely there is a mine for silver and a place for gold that they refine. Iron is taken out of the earth and copper is smelted from ore. Man puts an end to the darkness and searches out to the farthest limit in ore and gloom and darkest and deep darkness. He opens shafts in a valley away from where anyone lives. They are forgotten by travelers. They hang in the air far away from mankind. They swing to and fro. As for the earth, it co- out of it comes bread, but underneath it is turned up as by fire. Which, hey, that is an accurate description of the core of the earth. It's true. Uh, its stones are the place of sapphires and its dust has gold. And then we're going to skip to verses 12 through 15. But where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its worth and it is not found in the land of the living. The deep says it is not in me. The sea says it is not with me. It cannot be bought for gold and silver cannot be weighed as its price. And then finally skipping to the end here. God understands the way to it and he knows its place for he looks to the end of the ends of the earth and he sees everything under the heavens. When he gave to the wind its weight and appointed the waters by measure, when he made a decree for the rain, the way of the lightning for thunder, then he saw it and declared it and established it and searched it out. And he said to man, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil is understanding. So it's just a really, I keep saying the word beautiful, but it's a really beautiful poem about, um, <coughs> you know, if, if we want gold, we go into mines. If we want ore, mm-hmm. if we want iron, we go into mines. If we want um, food, we go into the earth and grow all these different things. Um, but where do we go for wisdom? And we go to God for wisdom. Yeah. So just like we would go into a mine to get gold, we would go to God for wisdom. And that's clearly Job's stance here. Yeah. Which I think is really, really incredible. Just. This is well into the conversations, the well into the, not I, for the lack of a better way to say it, the accusations that his friend is giving him. Right. Um, and he's, he, in some respects is standing before them and before God saying, I'm, I'm righteous. Like I'm not. And at the same time, he's not declaring himself so extravagantly. He's not cocky. He's not arrogant here, but he understands he's righteous in the end. He doesn't have much to repent of in this moment. Uh, and then it, because his, his wisdom comes from the fear of the Lord 
who at the end of the day can take his life in a heartbeat. And it's, it's an interesting thing that I think maybe even a conversation later on down the road at some point may come up about the fear of what does actually the fear of the Lord mean and this deep reverencing and things like that. But uh, I do think, and I, to coin Evan's word, like it is a beautiful uh, monologue, if you will, of Job in the midst of everything he's facing, which again, think about the context. He is not better now. He's still suffering. He's still struggling, but this is where he stands. So there you go. And then we get the ending monologues, which is my favorite section. Yes, of this the is book. this is a lot. We've had a lot of fun conversations in the over the years about this this section of the book of Job. So there you go. Um, the book of Job then moves uh, through the final thoughts of a few of the characters. Job uh, defends himself kind of one last time, um, and basically says like I don't know what I'd be repenting of. I've done everything. I'm a righteous man, and then and Eli- he's getting frustrated. Yeah, Job is starting to get frustrated that God is not answering. That God is. He doesn't have any answer because he's, it, it's just also a prayerful conversation. Like, well, show me what I've done. Well, uh, that his friends aren't being helpful. Either, no, not yeah. at all. So he's getting frustrated um, and not, not to the point of sin, but to the point of just being frustrated because he doesn't have answers and he doesn't know what to do. Right. And then Elihu. And we have, we don't know who Elihu is. So he had to have come with the three friends. I, you would assume, but that's what's weird, right? Because maybe he the, just showed up. Because the book specifies... Job's three friends came. So Elihu is not counted among them. Yep. So either he came with the friends and he's more of like an acquaintance of Job. Or like an apprentice that he doesn't have as much yeah. like authority I to mean, speak. In. I don't know. Like maybe he's one of the servants. Of, like, one, he, and one of the things that I remember reading about Job is he actually uh, had priestly duties. So part of what his role and his, like what he did. Oh, I was like, as the head of his is, house. Is he would give sacrifices and things like that. So he had priestly duties for his family. Yeah. Um, and so there is some what, hierarchy or some level of leadership and influence that he had. So yeah, it is interesting. Elihu, I don't know where he comes from. And and when we say we don't know, it's but not he's because- he's angry. Yes. We, we say we don't know, it's not because we're not looking into it. It's because literally no one he knows. just comes like, in and leaves and he's never mentioned again. Um, but we ref- yeah, we referenced it earlier. Elihu goes full scorched earth. Um, at first, he, he's just rebuking everyone, right? So at first he rebukes Job um, and he rebukes Job's friends, I should say. I think that's what he does first uh, for accusing Job with no proof. And yeah. he's saying like, hey, you're coming forward. You're insisting that he is a horrible sinner and a wretched sinner. You have seen absolutely no evidence of this. Why do you keep hammering this home? And you can kind of just imagine Job just being like, thank you. And then Elihu looks at Job and he's like, and <laughs> yes. you. And he's like basically saying like, how dare you spend all of your time defending yourself um, and blaming not, God for your suffering. Yeah. And not defending God in yeah. this moment. And, and Job kind of shuts up a little bit too. And Elihu's just like, like we said, he's just going nuts. Um, he's rebuking everyone. And then his ending portions are, and, and it's kind of laced throughout, but his ending portions are really praising God for his justice. He praises God, uh, for his greatness, like all these different things. He's just extolling who God is, um, rebuking everybody. And, it, and if that wasn't enough, um, then God answers and and God, God's answer is, I'm not exaggerating when I say this is one of my favorite passages of the Bible. Um, If you've ever heard, this is a quick, but if you're walking through suffering, it sucks to read it. Also true. Just being honest. Yeah. I'll make a quick song. You, you recommended blessed be the name of the Lord earlier. I will reference. I didn't recommend it. You sang it. Fine. I will recommend it. There's a song uh, by ghost ship is the band. It's called where were you? Um, but it's literally these chapters of Job put to music. It's really good. So huh. there you they're, go. They're formed from Marcel back in the day, right? Yeah, they're one yeah, of the yeah, yeah. They're one of the Marcel bands. Uh, so, anyways, sorry, not, that's not. I just that's how I connect. I was like, I've heard that name before. Yeah, that's so, who they are. Got yeah. it. Okay. Um, okay. So in Job thirty-eight, we get to the beginning of God's answer. He says, "Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said." 
who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Boom, roasted. So immediately he's just like, basically <laughs> they're saying this and he's like, okay, wait, hold on. What's going on here? Uh, dress for action like a man. I will question pants. you and you will make it known to me. Yeah. So basically just like put on your big boy pants. We're going to have a talk, you and me. It's um, one of those things like you, you're middle named and you're told to come over to your parents. Come here. Job right Elizabeth, now. last name. You get over <laughs> here right now. Uh, and then he goes like this, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding who determines its measurements, surely, you know, or who stretched the line upon it or on what were its bases sunk or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for glory or who shut in the seas with doors or when it burst forth from the womb. When I made the clouds, its garment and the thick darkness, its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, thus shall you come and no farther farther and here shall your proud waves be stayed and this, this goes on but i love like if you never thought god was sarcastic he is being incredibly sarcastic right now because he's literally just saying like oh i'm sorry i'm sorry job um since you're so knowledgeable about or and he's kind of rebuking everyone i guess in this moment yeah, since well. you're so righteous since yeah since yes. you're so right since everyone knows what's going on tell me uh where were you when i created the world when I when I spoke the world into oh, I just bumped my mic when I Jeez, spoke the world getting passionate watch out it's it just so great we're six feet away still don't worry um but yeah and so basically God just kind of like lays into him a little bit and then I love um Job replies and he says um, so it's almost one of those things you're watching and he's like don't do that just don't do that and Job says the Lord the, then Job answered the Lord and said behold I am of small account what shall I answer you I lay my hand on my mouth I have spoken once and will not answer twice but I will proceed no further. And so basically he's like, you're right. I'm sorry. I'm not talking anymore. I yield. Right now, puts his hand over his mouth. and then He waves the white flag. And then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and says, dress for action like a man. So God's not having it. He repeats he's like, himself. He's like, nope, we're keep. We're going to keep going. I will question you and you will make it known to be. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be right? Have you an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like his adorn yourself with majesty and dignity, clothe yourself with glory and splendor, pour out the overflowings of your anger and look on everyone who is proud and abase him. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low and tread down the wicked where they stand, hide them all in dust together, bind their faces in the world below. Then I will, then will I also acknowledge to you that you, that your own right hand can save you. And so basically he's like, God's God's just laying into him again. He's like, "Hey, when you're as powerful as me, when you're God, you can tell me that you uh, that you can save yourself." And he just kind of starts laying into Job again. So there you go. Good times. Ouch. Uh, but what well, it's it's crazy because it's that it, it really is this challenge of putting us in our place. I mean, that's that's the that's the context. I mean. We, we got, and it's, it's interesting because I was even being reminded of this this morning when I was just kind of refreshing myself for, for today, um, that he doesn't answer any of, any of the questions about suffering. And I think that is the really important point mm -hmm. of the book is that we, as the reader, we know why Job is suffering. God never tells him. Uh, God's entire business is really just about um, putting Job in his place and saying like, you might not understand this, but this is what's happening. Yeah. And there's a quote from, from Logos, the software that I use in one of the commentaries. Um, 
by by a guy named his last name is Garrett. It doesn't give me his first name, um, but it, it's just this. I want to read this quote, little this little bit of a quote. It says this: Job actually uh, says remarkably little to explain the problem of pain. Uh, instead, the speakers hurl lengthy and highly poetic speeches at one another, in which they alternatively insist, or which we've already reviewed this. Um, even God, in his lengthy speeches, said not a word to explain why Job had suffered. The Christian who reads Job for an explanation of the trials and suffering of life may leave more bewildered than comforted. The fault, however, and this is what is, I think is so important, is not with Job, but with us. Although suffering is an important factor in the book, the central question is not why the righteous suffer, but why a person should serve God. Or to put it in terms of the one who first posed the question, Satan, does Job fear God for nothing? Um, and I think that's the point when we read this section of God's response to Job. It's it, we oftentimes, again, will make it about our suffering. We make it about us, the, the arrows focus in rather than taking a step back and recognizing, okay, God, you are still trustworthy. You are still sovereign. I don't fully right. understand. And am I willing to be okay with that? And I think in moments it, I, we have really great strides of faith, but in other moments we have really weak strides of faith in this regard. And so that's the tension Job brings. And the fact that there is no clear answer as far as why Job suffered apart from a simple accusation, right? Uh, not even an accusation, but it was a simple observation by, by Satan himself. Um, and God stands there and says, dress like a man. We're going <laughs> to have, gonna have it out. You. Yep. Um, and I think it's interesting because the, the answer to suffering in the book of Job, like, 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 like what you just read, is not clear. Um, no. But what the answer kind of is, is um, it's an answer of perspective more than anything else. And the idea behind it is really that suffering is going to come. We're not going to understand it. Yeah. And we may never understand why certain things happen, but we need to be able to trust that God is in control, yeah, absolutely. that God knows what's happening um, and that God has truly our best interest at heart. And there you yeah. go. And even with something as unimaginably painful as what Job went through. Um, and we'll finish out the book here after, after God. Lays it ends in on a good note. Yeah. After, oh yeah, yeah. The, and I, I want to be careful with how we're portraying, you know, God here because, um, Obviously, like God loves his people. Um, well, and I think even, I think to be honest with you, we even have to be careful how we read God's engaged responses with Job and and the three friends. Right. Um, it's interesting that God only rebukes the three friends and doesn't talk to Elihu at all. And anyways. Um, I, which is funny because I, I kind of view that as like Elihu is is right. There's part of me says. that kind of views it that way so, too. Which is, which is a Elihu controversial is statement. Smart, right. Elihu was smart because he just rebuked the two individuals for their, their perspectives and then celebrated who God was. Yeah. Um, but it, it's, it's sometimes it's, it, we can read it as God is angry. He's like, okay, we're going to, we're going to hash this out. But I think there is some, I mean, Jesus is, I was reading it this morning, uh, book of John, Jesus flips over tables, hit the wrath and the frustration and the hatred of, of Christ in that moment was for God's people for, was for God's temple. Right. And the love that God has is where that, that hatred came out to play. And I think you see the same thing. Like, God is loving, God is just, God is merciful. But at the same time, there is these elements of not tough love, because I think that overly simplifies what's really happening here. But God is, God is a, he's deeply passionate. That's how I view when I read this. It's a reminder of me, like, God, you are passionate about right. who you are and wanting us to know who you are too. Well, and here's an example just kind of from my life that it makes me think of. So I, I have this Im image, uh, this memory burned into my mind of I don't remember how old I was. It was probably six, seven, eight, something like there. 21. Uh, 20, this is a couple years ago. <laughs> but um, I remember when I was a kid, like I called my mom stupid, I think, or something like that. 
Um, you uh, dummy. Rookie mistake. Um, you knew. And so anyways, I did that with an earshot of my dad and my dad like burned with anger. Like I was, I was spanked and I was sent to my room. Um, and it, it was just like, you know, it was, it was like this kind of like really shocking thing. And I was like, sorry, oh, mom. Yeah, exactly. Um, but afterwards, like I was genuinely like, I was, you know, really upset and I was crying and I went and I apologized to my mom and all these different things. And then, so my dad didn't just end the night with like, okay, thanks. Now go to your room and go to bed. Um, but I remember like he came into my room. Um, he told me that like, it was really important to him that I respect my mom. And he kind of like went through like, okay, well, here's what your mom does for you. Like you shouldn't never talk to her like that. And then he like read me a bedtime story and I went to sleep. And so that was the whole exchange, right? Yeah. So if you just focus on the part where God is angry with Job, it kind of makes him come across as like, well, he's just an angry father and he sends Job away, but he's no, just waiting. He's just waiting to crack down on me. Um, but the book ends much like my story ends, right? So here's Job's repentance, right? And so in, in 42, one through six, it says, then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know, which is also the last line of the song, which is great. Um, but here I will speak to you. I will question, uh, question you and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I despise myself and I repent in mm. dust and ashes. So, good. so Job's final stance is like, God, I questioned you. You answered me. I know I asked things that were too wonderful. I repent um, of, of the pride that yeah. I had even in that moment. And so and I do want to make clear too, like Job does sin throughout the book in the sense of like questioning God. Yeah, he's not he perfect by any means. Right. What I want to say earlier is the caveat of sometimes people say like, well, Job had this pride in his heart the whole time and that's why God was aligned. Like, no, like the Bible's pretty clear, like Job is standing up right before God. Yeah. So there might've been some of this in his heart, but he it's He probably not. did have pride because I think all of us have pride. Yeah, but, but, it's, but that's not the reason. Yeah. Okay. So that's kind of the basic idea there. Um, and then after that happens, um, God kind of rebukes Job's three friends too, which, you know, they get, they get their comeuppance as well. And they kind of go back home with their tail between their legs. Figuratively, they didn't have tails. Um, well, and maybe they did. Just what? kidding. Plot twist. Um, Pinocchio, and then on. finally, and then this is like, you know, if, if my dad read me a bedtime story and told me he loved me and put me to sleep, that last part, not like an animal. And then, uh, but this is kind <laughs> of, this is kind of God's, uh, equivalent of that with yeah, Job. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and then it says, this is the, these are the last lines of the book. Um, and the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than the beginning. He had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, a thousand yoke of oxen, and a thousand female donkeys. Don't know how many male donkeys he has, Doesn't but matter. apparently just the females matter Female there. donkeys reproduce more donkeys. Forget That's why the they're males. more valuable. Uh, he also had seven sons and three daughters. And he called the name of the first daughter, Jemiah. The name of the second, Keziah, and the name of the third, Karen Hapak. I should have looked up what those meant. Oh, well. Uh, and in the you should do it when you read it. And in the land, there were no women so beautiful as Job's daughters, and their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. And after this, Job lived 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons for generations. And I love that this is the last line. And Job died an old man and full of days, which is just like, so... God, yeah. yeah, God lays into Job a little bit. Job repents. And then again, God just kind of surrounds him. He's like, hey, all right. And then he just blesses him, blesses yeah. the crap out of him, you might say. Yeah. But, um, and you just read this idea. You get this picture of Job um, just living a happy life. And he sees his generations continue. It says that, you know, his sons and his daughters are clearly such a blessing to him. Um, and I, I just love the line, and Job died an old man full of his days. Yeah. Um, it reminds me of, this is super lame, but it reminds me of, 
uh, Lord of the Rings when like Bilbo thinks like I found an ending to my book and it's like, and he lived happily ever after to the end of his days. And I feel like that's kind of Job's ending. It's oh, just Lord of the Rings reference. We haven't referenced one of those in a long time. It's true. Yeah, we just watched, we're in quarantine, dude. So the extended editions are coming, they're coming out. We're powering through. plus hours of. You betcha. Pure cinematic bliss. Yeah. And so if we had to kind of talk through the major themes of Job, I mean, we've been talking about the entire time, but it really is this idea that um, suffering can come for everyone. Yeah. And that God, God is sovereign. sovereign. So we can trust them. There you go. Um, yeah. So hope you Job's enjoyed. A great book. It's a hope great you, book. Yep. Hope you enjoyed that. Uh, don't t- don't check out yet. We do have a Q and A portion coming up. A few uh, kind of interesting, a little bit more light questions, but uh, interesting ones as well. Um, but it's also a great reminder to uh, do us a favor and leave us a review. Uh, the more reviews that we get, um, preferably of the five star variety, uh, it helps get the podcast out there. The more people, it helps kind of grow this community of us reading the Bible together. Um, and we say it's a lot, but it's, it is really cool to see um, not just people in our home church listening, um, although that's amazing, but also just people all around the country, really a little bit yeah. of the world, but mostly, but yeah, in the U S we just get to see different pockets of people uh, pick up on yeah, the thanks podcast. For that. And, Keep it coming. Yeah. It's really cool. Uh, you already asked for reviews, right? Yeah, that's, okay, oh, that's what I just Sorry, did. I checked You're out. Checking. I'll, I'll be honest. I didn't read the questions ahead of time, so I'm kind of coming in ready to just- You're coming in blind? Oh, I'm just, I'm trusting the Lord to speak with it. Why is he through me? I'm just going to shut up. So <laughs> I was reading the questions while you were doing that call for reviews. So yeah, well, give us a review. Uh, that helps. There you go. And we like to know, we like to know what do you think of us? So. All right. So question one uh, came in on Facebook and said, you mentioned the significance of the number 12. This is when we were talking about the book of Acts. Uh, but can you touch on the number 40? Noah, the Israelites in the desert, how long Moses was on Mount Sinai, the reigns of multiple good kings, Jesus in the desert, the amount of days of Jesus that Jesus hung out with his disciples after his resurrection. So what is the deal with the number 40? It is kind of interesting. So uh, totally interesting. To bring you back a little bit, if you forgot what we talked about with 12, uh, in the book of Acts at the beginning, there's only 11 disciples because, you know, Judas. Judas went all Judas and he betrayed Christ and then killed himself. So... You can see that there is, um, there's this idea among the disciples that there should always be 12 of them. And I, I think that kind of just comes with, and I think it's the same reason that Jesus chose 12 disciples is to kind of represent the 12 tribes of, tribes of Israel, which we see that a lot. Um, even in the book of Revelation, there's a lot of symbolism about um, the 144,000 because it's, you know, it's a multiple of 12 and you see how it's all broken down. So it's kind of cool in that sense. Um as far as the number 40, there's nothing super definitive. Cause even with the number 12, um, the Bible isn't like, this is why 12 is important. It's just kind of a theme that we see throughout. Um, and so if we're going to look at the main areas where you see 40, and again, like we said with Noah's Ark, 40 days and 40 nights, um, with Mount Sinai, the Israelites in the desert are for 40 years. What you see a lot of times is a moving from one, um, epic of time to another, I guess, for lack of a better phrase. So with you get the 40 days and 40 nights on the ark, you're moving from this this period of time where man had become so sinful that God was like, okay, I'm hitting the reset button. And then there's a 40 day and 40 night period of reset, if you will. And then Noah and his wife and his children emerge from the ark, right? Um, with the 40 uh, years in the desert, what you see is this period where it goes from Israel being in slavery into freedom in the promised land. That's a 40 year period. When you see Moses on Mount Sinai, you go from this period of, um, there's no written law really. It's just kind of the, the covenant of Abraham. All of a sudden now we're transitioning into a period of, of written law. Jesus 40 days to the disciples. We're going from when, um, God is physically here 
on the earth in the form of, of Jesus to now God is uh, with us in the form of the Holy Spirit. And there's a force. So it's just kind of a thing of transition. Yeah. So, well, no. and this is something else, um, just total transparency. I just Googled it just to see what it would say. Um, and there's a website called todayifindout.com. Boom. Uh, I don't know the the validity or the repute, repute what the reputation of this this website, but it's just interesting to think about. It says this, um, at the time among the Jews, the number 40 wasn't generally used to signify a specific number per se, but rather more used as a general term for a, lar- a large figure. When it was used in terms of time, it simply meant for a long time. Thus, the phrase 40 days and 40 nights was just another way to say over the long time, like the days of the flood. Hmm. Uh, the number 40 also had great symbolic meaning as the Jews and today among Christians and Muslims as well. The number 40 to the Jews is a number that when used in terms of time represents a period of probation, trial, and chastisement. Um, and then, and this is, there's a, there's a certain level of, uh, I haven't done enough research about it. You can speak about it. the whole idea of understanding types and numbers and shadows and things like that within scripture. Right. It's the numeric code is some of where the Da Vinci code comes out to play. I think as well, this, this whole, yeah, I think that, and that's where I, I, I strong view of it. Um, but, I usually try to avoid that because I yeah. think it's not super helpful. And that, and it goes into thing, and this is why I say that only because then it jumps into the idea as a product of five and eight. I don't, I'm not going to even read into that, but it's, it's in essence, it's just this idea of time and this uh, represents a period of probation, trial and chastisement, which I think is really interesting because hmm. even in the context of like the 40 days of praying and fasting, Jesus went into the desert, like it's this, this season. And I think you wrote it here. It's like the passing of a season, not a season that we would see agriculturally or, or, or uh, fall, winter, spring, summer kind of thing, but it's this seasonal period of time in, in our rhythms and lives. Right. So that makes sense to me. And I could totally read in that. I just never even thought about that question before. So yeah, I, I had way, way to cause me to think a little bit different. So, so there you go. Uh, and then our final question for today, uh, in John chapter 10, Jesus likens himself to the good shepherd and that analogy, we are the sheep. Uh, but then there's a statement about the hired hand running away when the thief, the devil comes to destroy, who is the hired hand in this story? Uh, is it the Pharisees or am I just reading too much into it in general? So it's a great question. I love it. Yeah. So, uh, in John Chapter 10, Aaron, do you want to read the, uh, yeah, yeah. Here's the, the Here's the context. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. I'm the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a higher hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my father. So yeah, that's the story. It's funny because Jesus actually makes he he compares himself to the door and and then also to the good shepherd. So he has a couple different. What is it? I'm confused. <laughs> Just um, so there's a couple different ways to look at this. Number one, I think, is particularly with with Peter. What you see is that um, particularly Christians in leadership and in pastoral leadership, and and that's vocational, not vocational. You know, there's a lot of different ways we can look at that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you are charged with. Um, as Jesus says, feeding my lambs, uh, or basically taking care of the flock. So in that context, you could say a hired hand is someone who, um, 
is just doing it for whether it's the money or whether it's just, you know, like particularly, like you can even look at like the middle ages, the power of it yeah. all. Um, and even that some of that today. Um, so it's just people whose, whose heart is truly not to serve God. Um, but it is just to kind of get their own thing out yeah, of it. It's a positional which, thing. Yeah. So I think that's happening. Um, but in John 10, I don't think that's what's talking about. I think it's more, um, I don't think that there's an exact parallel of the hired hands. And so you can push back with me on this because we haven't talked about this before. So we might, no, we, we might be disagreeing right now. Who knows? We might. I don't know. Um, I'm listening to what you're saying first. But my thought is that Jesus isn't saying before there were hired hands, but I'm the good shepherd. I'm, I'm fixing this. What he's saying is he's kind of just comparing himself to um, something imaginary. Mm -hmm. And in that sense, he's not saying I'm replacing the hired hands. What he's saying is I'm a good shepherd. I'm not like a hired hand. So when he's saying when, when the trials come, uh, when the thief comes, I'm not going to leave you because yeah. I'm a good shepherd. I'm not like a hired hand. So it's not that the hired hands are like this group of people that he's making an analogy towards. I think it's really just him clarifying who he himself is using an analogy that they would understand because obviously, the, and, and, and the, um, it's funny because, uh, one of, uh, I, I was having a conversation with a business owner in the church. This is years ago. Um, but I remember him talking about how his business was starting to take off. Um, and he had to hire some people. And he said, one of the hard things about hiring people is you can hire the best people, like great workers. Um, but if they don't own the business, they're never going to care as much mm -hmm. as you do. And that's not a slight on them. It's just it's kind just of true. Yeah, it's just true. Like, obviously you own the business. This is your baby. Like you've been investing into it for years. Um, they're, they don't live and breathe your business. Yeah. They're just, they're, <laughs> they're here to get a paycheck for lack of a word. And yeah. so what Jesus is saying is, um, I'm not like that. I'm not here for the you know, the paycheck obviously is kind of a, yeah. a crass way of saying it, but Jesus is saying, I, I live and breathe the salvation of, of my people. Yeah. So that's kind of how I view it. No. And, I, and, and to be honest with you, man, I, I would agree with you. I don't think it's this, um, there is a hired hand or there is, you know, a good shepherd. I think that that's, that's the comparison Christ is making and, and revealing because these statements are identity statements. This is who I am. I'm the door. You get into the pasture through me. That's the statement. Then he says, I'm the, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the one who cares and tends the flock. You can have hired hands who don't really care or tend the flock. They're just there. Um, and so I think the majority of the context is actually talking in comparison. So Jesus is reestablishing his identity and who he is. So I would agree with you, Evan. Yeah. Um, the only other thing too is, and I don't, I don't, this is not what I fully understand, but it's just what comes to my mind as I think about it. There could be some allusion to, or alluding, I guess is the right word, to some alluding to the Antichrist and the future, but I don't think that's actually accurate fully for the full extent of this passage. So, right. uh, but yeah, I would say it's more of a comparison, Jesus establishing his identity in a way that they can fully understand. So there you go. So we agree. Yes. We don't disagree. No, no. Although it kind of is fun to disagree on a podcast sometimes because you and I have disagreed about a lot of things yeah, we off just, the podcast. We disagree so we walk once out in a while. And we still high five and hug, just not right now. Don't we, get us, we might elbow. Don't elbow. get us started on Seahawks versus Cowboys, let me tell you. Um, but anyway, we're just one of those fans. On that, on that note, that's it. That's uh, all we got. Thank you for listening uh, to the. Is, oh my goodness! Thanks for your patience. Thanks for your grace. Yep. Thanks for uh, sticking with us, even though we missed a week last Yep, we're a podcast of the Grove Church. We're not the only podcast of the Grove Church. You can check out all of our resources um, on our website at grove.church. Have a great day.